Hello and welcome to episode 195 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me in Los Angeles is Nathan Fox. How you doing, Nathan? I'm good, man. Sorry about the technical difficulties this morning. Yeah, no worries. So you had to reset your entire computer or something? On Sunday, I had my phone actually bricked and I had to go get a new one because of water damage. And then this morning I woke up and my laptop was like, had crashed doing a system update overnight and didn't restart itself. Once I restarted it, then it told me that it was going to be 35 minutes or whatever, but it sorted itself out now. So it's working. Sweet, man. Today on the show, we're going to have a letter from LSAC about the July test and uh, some upcoming delays, maybe Uh, a look at the Thomas Jefferson's scholarship matrix. Interesting. We also have an interview that Max did with Isaac about LSAT demon-equipped tutoring and some other questions that Isaac is working through. We're excited to have to share that interview with you. Uh, if you're a tutor out there and you are working with students, we want to know, are you using the LSAT demon? Uh, we have started doing so and find it very helpful. We will also tackle the third game in the June 2007 LSAT. We started that earlier in a previous episode, and we're going to wrap that up with the uh, worlds and take it from there. Uh, when this podcast is released, it'll be Monday, June 3rd. So congratulations to anyone who took the LSAT today. Hope it went well. Your last day to register for the July LSAT is tomorrow, Tuesday, June 4th. Uh, the scores will be released a few weeks after that, and then the July LSAT is on July 15th. Uh, you can always email questions to the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Send us your selfies if you're so inclined. The website has finally been remade, and you can find it at thinkinglsat.com. Uh, give us our feedback, uh, or give us your feedback. You can also leave a review on iTunes. That's super helpful. I've noticed that a few people have left some more funny, uh, entertaining Five-star and one-star reviews. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) So keep it coming. Yeah, let's jump into this uh, notice from LSAC. Yeah, I found this pretty amusing email from a listener saying, I wasn't sure if you already got these, but I thought you might be interested. I hope you have a great weekend. Sincerely, Victoria. And it says, it's a typical, very long email from LSAC says, Dear Victoria, our records indicate that you are registered to take the July 2019 law school admission test. We wanted to share a few updates and reminders to help you prepare for your LSAT test day. Oh, my gosh. The law school admission test test day. Well, the whole thing is just awful. You could just cut that whole (laughs) first paragraph. Right, our and our records indicate that you are registered to take the July. No, it's like this person is going to be shocked, right? Like, like, they, yeah, like it's their <laughs> surprise to them. Yeah. Okay, as you know, the digital LSAT begins with the July 15 test administration, where approximately half the test takers will be assigned to take the test on a tablet provided by LSAC, and the rest will take the traditional paper and pencil test. Given the uniqueness of the July <laughs> test administration. We wanted to remind you that all test takers, regardless of format, should bring number two pencils and erasers. People who are assigned the paper test will have space in their booklets to make notes, and people taking the test on the tablet will be provided with scratch paper. 
People taking the test on the tablet will also be provided a pen slash stylus that can be used to underline and highlight text on the tablet, as well as writing on the scratch paper. That's a bad sentence there. They didn't That's match a horrible their, sentence. Didn't match their verb tense. For a complete list of required and allowable items, please visit, and then there's a link. Okay, so that's that's useful that, to just remind people that they do have to bring a pencil to July. Because the July test is being offered in two different formats, it will take longer than normal for test takers to receive their scores. When introducing a new mode of test delivery, testing companies are required to do in-depth research on the two modes, in this case, tablets and paper booklets. We are wait wait you who requires the that? two modes? Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> kind of like, blaming the amorphous they, right? It's like, a law. There's others that are requiring it. Yeah. This is to ensure the validity and reliability of the test scores. As a result of this process, July test takers will receive their scores on Wednesday, August 28, 2019. Okay, so it's like a month and a That's half. six weeks, yeah. Yeah. They doubled, it went from three weeks to six weeks with the launch of digital. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm busting their balls, but I like obviously they have, it's going to be, I get it that it's going to take a little bit longer. I'm kind of surprised how long. It already was too long that it took three weeks. Mm. And so now it's six weeks. Mm-hmm. Two spaces before their next sentence. We anticipate the ability to report scores faster with future tests. To which Victoria says, I do not care (laughs) because I'm taking the July test. (laughs) Because of the unique nature of the July test and the need for additional time for research across the two delivery modes, (laughs) we provided a unique benefit to candidates who are taking the July test. For the July test only, all test takers will have the opportunity to see their scores and will have until Wednesday, September 4 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern and then hopefully 10.59 p.m. Central, 9.59 p.m. Mountain, 8.59 p.m. Pacific to cancel their scores. That's a kind of a long-ass time to cancel. Oh, wait, no, it's not. It's one week. Okay. It's a week after. Jesus Christ. But I mean, that is crazy. So you're going to take the test on September, on July 15th, and you're going to have all the way up till September 4th to cancel because it's going to take six weeks. (laughs) That's going to be excruciating that six weeks to wait for those, to wait for those scores to come back. (laughs) Wait, this is, yeah. (laughs) And then you have a week. I can't believe they put all the times, the different time zones. You know, for idiots like me, that would have been helpful. Do you remember how I missed my registration deadline? I was like thinking in the wrong time zone. I'm like, I swear, I thought I had till midnight tonight to sign up. Oh, my gosh. If you decide to cancel your July 2019 test score, you will be able to retake the LSAT at no additional charge through the April 2020 test. Test takers will be able to access their scores from any internet-connected device, including smartphones. Should you decide to take the October LSAT, the deadline to register for that exam is September 10th, 2019. 
All right. So at least you are going to have, you're going to be able to see your July score before sign, before you decide whether you want to sign up for October. September. Yeah. Oh no. Oh wait, is there a September exam? There is a September exam. Oh, so that one you're screwed. (laughs) Holy cow. (laughs) That is pretty crazy. Like basically at this point now, you should sign up for July and September because you're not going to be able to know your July score until you get your September, till the September registration deadline is passed. You know what they did? That's kind of stupid, actually. I Mm. think. Why did they roll out? Why did they bump up to nine tests per year before they made the conversion to digital? That's what's causing this like whole clusterfuck now. If they would have done the conversion to digital when they still had four tests per year, then they would have had plenty of breathing room where people weren't waiting outrageous amounts of time to get their score. And then meanwhile, there's another LSAT coming up. The real question is, why didn't they go to digital back in 1999 when it was first raised in their newsletter? And why didn't they convert to digital (laughs) using the Sylvan Learning Centers and all the computer (laughs) terminals that are sitting around (laughs) gathering dust? Yeah, so the registration deadline for the September LSAT is Thursday, August 1st. Oh, and by the way, the fee's gone up to $200. Shut up. Yep, just I'm looking at their website right now. (laughs) And and the uh, $15 writing sample fee now. Yeah. So they've bumped it from 180 to 190 to 215. Huh. If you you decide to cancel by August 21st, you get $50 back. So that means it costs you $150 (laughs) (laughs) just to (laughs) sign up and cancel. (laughs) Jeez Louise. Okay, so anyways, August 1st. Wow, that's... That's uh, about 15 days. Two weeks after you take the July LSAT, you have to decide whether or not you want to register for September, but you won't have your score for another month. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much just got to sign up for September if you're looking to apply this year. Because I would rather take it in September and be earlier in the cycle than in October if you're already prepping for the test now. Anyway. I love how they keep talking about how it's getting more, you know, like opportunity, getting more just and everything. But meanwhile, the rich folks are just taking the test a bazillion times. And not only that, but getting accommodations. (laughs) And uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Finally, there are plenty of LSAT preparation and familiarization tools available. Check out our free resources, including the Get Acquainted with the Digital LSAT Tutorials and Practice Tests, available at (laughs) familiar.lsac.org, and Official LSAT Prep with Khan Academy at Khan Academy, blah, blah, blah. Closer to your test date, we will share additional reminders and information. In the meantime, blah, okay, whatever, email address, phone number, got it. Who wrote this email? I don't know. They didn't put their name on it in this one. This one is just kind regards, Law School Admission Council. Seriously, this could be one third the length (laughs) and three times more effective. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, the takeaways there, it's going to take six goddamn weeks to get your July score back. That's going to be fun. Uh, You are going to have to sign up for the September exam before those July tests are released. If you, um, or before those July scores are released, if you, um, cancel, you get 
up till April of next year to retake it for free. Uh, I think that's about it. Yeah. Moving on. I do agree with this sentence right here, though. There are plenty of LSAT preparation and familiarization (laughs) tools available, including LSAT Demon. I'm surprised they didn't include that with their list. Anyway. Well, they wouldn't want to put the good one. (laughs) Girls versus turds. Let's do it. Uh, This is from LSAT Learning Objectives, sent in from a listener. It says... Yeah, it's an IG account, apparently, providing doling out LSAT wisdom to their followers. This is LSAT wisdom number what billion. What the fuck is this? <laughs> okay, so this is interesting. My gut reaction to this was very negative at first, but then I was like, hmm, maybe I could see this being valuable. Yeah. But the way it's presented is strange. No. So it starts out by saying 40% of the time, the right answer will be D or E. That's the title of this advice. And unfortunately, (laughs) I think that for a lot of less astute Instagram browsers, they will read this and somehow take away the idea that they need to be picking D or E, which is (laughs) unfortunate. Because, of course, any any two answer choices on the test will be the correct answer 40% of the time because any answer on the test will be correct 20% of the time. Yeah, so I could say right back to this, 40% of the time the right answer is A or B. Actually, 60% of the time the answer is A, B, or C. Yeah. So (laughs) Wait a sec. What does that mean? What do I do? Well, here's their stupid (laughs) takeaway that they're trying to get. Yeah. Yep. Go ahead. Oh, it is therefore a mistake to spend 30 seconds thinking about A or B if you haven't even looked at D and E yet. Read all the answers before you consider any thoroughly. (laughs) Um... Okay, so I actually think there's some wisdom here in the sense that a lot of times as I'm going through the answer choices, I will read one and I will say, no, that's wrong. And then I'll read another one and be like, hmm, like, I guess I could, that might be what's going on here. And then I just move on as opposed to um, digging into it forever. Because what might happen, right? You get to answer choice C and you're like, well, pfft. This is it. I, this is clearly what's happening in this flaw question. And so I wasn't sure what was happening with B, but now that I see C so clearly, I'm going to pick C and not even spend any more time on B. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I'm going to look at D and E, make sure that they're not viable options as well and that I missed something in C. But um, on other occasions, I might read A, say, oh, this is definitely wrong. Read B, be like, huh, maybe. And then read C know that it's wrong, read D, know that it's wrong, read E, and know that it's wrong. And so I'm picking B. I'm going to go back and try to understand a little bit more just to make sure I'm not missing anything. But I I do agree with this idea of not obsessing about answer choices uh, because the other answer choices may make it much easier to just pick an answer. And you're going to have to read all five in the logical reasoning anyway. Yeah, I can give it a tie. Again, it's like the spirit of this, it kind of makes sense. But the The way it's presented is weird. The way it's presented is weird. And also, it's like, wait, but hold on a second. Are you telling me that I'm not supposed to, like, think about these answers as I read them? Yeah. I'm supposed to read them but not think about them? There's definitely that that weird undertone. You want me to skim it? It's like, it also, you know, the other thing about this 
tip is that it's like, it makes it, it makes people think that, that it's like so hard to consider it thoroughly. Yeah. I mean, because I could, I probably considered a thoroughly enough to know that it's not the answer. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. now that's not, I mean, okay. So this tip, if we were rewriting this tip for them, <clears throat> the tip needs to be don't make a convoluted case for an answer. Yeah. Until that's a good you've read way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Don't sit there and try to justify it uh, until you've read all five. The tip should you, generally be like the answer choices aren't your friend. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, I say this in class all the time. I've, I, I very frequently eliminate all five on my first read through. I'm just like, no, no, no. What does this even mean? No, no. Mm-hmm. And then I mm-hmm. go, ah, okay, shit. All right. Well, one of them has got to be right. Mm-hmm. And so then I'll, I'll go through and, and consider the ones that seemed like they had some sort of a chance, like the one that I dismissed by saying, oh man, that's a really convoluted, like, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, if one of them has to be right, that one could be the one that's right. Yeah. Um, but that one very, very well could be a or B <laughs> there's just no point for these people saying that 40% of the time the right answer will be D or E. I mean, they could have said 80% of the time the, the answer is B, C, D, or E. Yeah. Like, what are you, what's the message? That nobody's going to get the right takeaway from that. I also don't like this uh, reference to time. It is therefore a mistake to spend 30 seconds thinking about A or B. It might be. Maybe 30 seconds is too long for answers, some answers for some users, but or test takers, I guess. But getting people thinking about the time and how much time yeah. they're spending on the answer choices is detrimental. It, Like you said, are you trying to make a convoluted case? That's right. something that you can sense outside of time. It's like, am I, am I jumping through hoops to make this work? If so, stop. You may need to do that in the end. If all the other answers suck but one of them's kind of okay and b's kind of okay you're just like why okay why does one of these work especially in flaw questions where they have those abstract words and phrases you might need to do some mental work to see how it actually fits and why that's the best answer even if it's not your favorite answer but i don't know the timing thing is concerning because it's going to make people rush I think they're really leading people astray here. What if this is a parallel reasoning question or a parallel flaw question? Mm -hmm. Are you telling me that I can't ever spend 30 seconds to read A and B the first time through? Yeah. What if A is the right answer? What if B is the right answer? Well, if, if A starts off sounding right, then you better believe I'm going to take all the time necessary to just make sure like, is this, if, if it's, if I'm like, oh yeah, okay, this is working. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. I mean, it could take me 30 seconds to go through A and B. I mean, you know, maybe yeah. like a, a sounded right until the very end. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. it's out now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then B sounds right and turns out to actually be right. Well, in that case, I might know with 99% certainty that B is the answer after my 30 seconds with A and B. Yeah. And so what am I, was I not supposed to go that deep? You didn't want me to go that deep. You instead, you wanted me to skim a and B and like not actually get anything from it. So it totally depends on the question type. I'm voting turd. 
I'm willing to go there because I think that people aren't going to take away the right message from this message. And I'm just makes me wonder, is there any advice out there that we um <laughs> we like other than our own? <laughs> yeah. Set. Well, we've done 25 now. Um we're at the quarter century mark on the pearls versus turds feature and we have found one pearl, 16 turds and there's been eight ties. This was almost a tie, but it had to it had to go into the turd pile because yeah. It, people aren't going to get the right. I don't know, you know, it, or maybe what this is is it's just like Bell said advice for mediocre, like people who are trying to, you, you know, like the best they're ever going to do is 145. Mm-hmm. I could see how this would get you, you know, like you're on your half ass journey to 145. Like it might, you know, <laughs> it's just that you're never going to actually master the test. Like you're never going to actually be understanding it with these mm-hmm. kinds of tips. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> anyway, all right. Next one. Cool. Yeah. This one's addressed to you. Hey, Nathan. So I remember you looking at something like this for a school in Minnesota where it had a grid of LSAT scores equals the scholarship. Oh, yeah. Grade, a matrix, scholarship matrix. Well, here's one from San Diego that I would apparently be guaranteed a full ride plus a stipend. Smiley face. They even accept the June LSAT for this fall. <laughs> so Matt is uh, amazed by this. But th- what this is, is it's the... It's Thomas Jefferson School of Law, which we've talked about on the podcast before. And the reason why I wanted this on the agenda was because they've updated it, Ben. So you should click on it. Clicking now. Loading. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. Okay. Wait, what has changed, I guess? I don't remember what it said before. Is it the... Full tuition and living stipend that's been added. The living stipend has been added. This there was wow thirteen hundred dollars per month. Thirteen fifty a month credited to the student account. Wow, where are they getting all this money? I'll tell you where they're getting this money. They're getting this money from people who don't have a one forty five LSAT, and for people who don't have you know a three point like so the stipends. The, you could be a 2.5 GPA and a 160, actually a 159, because it's 159 plus. So 159 plus and a 2.5 undergraduate GPA, and you get the President's Award at Thomas Jefferson School of Law, which is an ABA accredited school. You get full tuition and $1,350 a month living expenses, which might not be enough to live very comfortably in San Diego, but you're you you're the the place where they're getting that money is the people who don't have these numbers like they Well, I understand <laughs> that they're getting it from those people, but I'm just wondering how many how much does it cost them to run their school and how much are they getting from these lower scoring students and how do they make this all work? You know, is someone fell in love with Thomas Jefferson and decided to donate a bunch of money to them as well? Or are they really just like, I mean, with this system, you could figure it all out. You figure exactly how much money you need from the lower ranking students, how many people are applying with something lower than a 145. Well, like, I've got their ah. 509 right here. Okay. So yeah. here's, here's who's actually going to their school from 2018 first year class. 
Mm-hmm. The 50th percentile uh, LSAT was 147. Mm-hmm. The 75th percentile LSAT was 149. The 25th percentile LSAT was 145. And the grades go from 2.8 at the 50th percentile, 3.09 at the 75th percentile, and 2.53 at the 25th percentile. I mean, this school is, you know, predatorily admitting people who are just not super great candidates to become lawyers. Yeah. But... (laughs) If you go there for a full ride plus stipend, you're, I guess you're kind of contributing to this broken system, right? Like you're, you're sort of participating in ripping off the lower part of your own class, but whatever, like you're working the system to your benefit. You're going to go get a JD that allows you to sit the California bar and you're not going to pay. I mean, in fact, they're going to pay you. Wow. Their website looks pretty good too. They seem to have like a business mindset here. No, I'm so uh, I forgive me if it looks like I'm shitting on them too much. I mean, I think this is a great decision for people who have, especially like splitter type of people who have kind of poor undergraduate grades. This yeah. would have been a great decision for me with my 2.54 undergraduate GPA. Mm-hmm. And I could have just waltzed in there with, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I would never even have had to prepare for the LSAT. I would have just like walked in there, got a 165 or whatever on the LSAT and just gone to this place for free with a stipend. Yeah. And (laughs) it's, and they have a part-time program and the part-time program also pays a stipend. So you could actually keep your job and get a JD and get money. Wow. Also, one of their main menu items is bar prep, which surprises me. But it sounds like they're going to help you with the bar. Well, they have to, right? When they're admitting people with with this low of, of LSAT and GPA. Yeah. At Thomas Jefferson, we take bar preparation very seriously. California <laughs> has an extremely difficult bar exam, and we strive to provide our students with support to succeed on the bar exam. We have several bar preparation faculty work to get work collaboratively together and with other faculty members to prepare our students for the bar exam. We also offer several pre-graduation four credit bar prep courses. Wow. That which every school should be doing. Hmm. Honestly, I mean, shame on every law school for not doing this in the three <laughs> L year. What are you doing? You're taking $50,000 from somebody, but you're not actually doing bar prep for them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not shitting on Thomas Jefferson. Like they, they, oh, seems... I'm not, I didn't actually say that you, I didn't think that you were. Oh, I well, I, saying... I think I, my comments could definitely be taken that way when I say that they yeah. are predatorily admitting people who <laughs> oh, are not sure. going to be successful. Like, I mean, th- that's true, but that's also true of like every law school outside of the top. What? 30, 40. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, the people at the bottom of almost every law school are, are just like, it's, it's a, you're, it's a long shot. So at, you know, here the, I, I like one thing I really like about it is that they are just so transparent with it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, that the, they're actually putting the matrix right there. Like, Hey, well, here's the deal. Get this LSAT, get this GPA. And if you can't achieve those numbers, then I'm sorry, you're going to have to pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, I, I love this as a, as like a default. Um, I think this is a great default for basically everybody like first day of LSAT class. It's like, listen, here's this, here's this, uh, matrix. Mm -hmm. If you can't get yourself a full ride from Thomas Jefferson, Mm -hmm. you should not be going to law school period. Because Mm. (laughs) if you have a (laughs) 2.5 undergraduate GPA, all it takes is a 159. Get to a 159, go to law school for free. Okay. If you have a more reasonable GPA, mm-hmm. 3.0, with a 3.0, you can get a 157 and get a full ride. Yep. No stipend, yep. but a full ride. Yeah. And if you have a 3.5 or higher, which so many people do, you, you only need a 154 to get a full tuition scholarship. Again, no yeah. stipend. You got to get a 159 to get a stipend. But, but 154, 3.5 and a 154. Like if you can't get that full ride, then what are you doing? Why are you going to law school? Like it's, I think people just don't understand that it's a competitive thing and that they're going to be in trouble if they can't, if they can't get to that point eventually. Yeah. So then it's like, okay, so if that's your default presumption and if you don't want it, but like, Oh, well, I don't want to go there. Okay, good. Well then work on the outside a little bit more and get yourself a better full ride to some other better school. Yeah. But like, this is, this should be, you know, I, I just, I can't imagine it making any sense for anybody to be like, if you imagine the, the flip side of somebody who's paying full price in order to pay full price at Thomas Jefferson, you have to have either below a 2.5 and below a 150, or below a 3.0 and below a 145. Jesus. All right. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So check out that scholarship matrix. We'll uh, post that to the show notes and we'll post that with their 509. So you can see exactly what you're getting yourself into at Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Should we go ahead and jump into the game here or is there something else you want to talk about with this? Uh, I think we actually, were going to introduce the interview. Oh, we are going to introduce the interview. Okay. So we're going to pull in Max and Isaac, and they're going to talk about their experiences together. Max interviewed him. Max is uh, an LSATdemon.com equipped tutor, uh, helps write explanations for the reading comp as well, and he's going to interview Isaac and tell us about their experience using that tool and other things. So we're excited to hear what they have to say. Hi, Isaac. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Why don't you tell the listeners, just because you know we've obviously met a couple times now, why don't you uh, tell the listeners just briefly a little bit about your background? You're not the typical law school applicant. You're actually uh, in Spain right now. Why don't you tell them a little bit about what you're doing in Spain and uh, why you're hoping to come back to the States to go to law school? Okay, yep. Uh, hi, Max. So, sure. So my name is Isaac. I, like you said, I live in Spain. I've been living overseas for about six years. After finishing up my degree, I decided to come over here and teach English as a second language through an opportunity that um, 
is offered to North Americans to work in classrooms here. And after living here for six years, I just decided last year that I wanted to pursue further education and try and go to law school. So I have been studying now since about mid-January. And uh, great. Uh, awesome. So obviously, like you said, studying since about mid-January. Um, I know you recently started using the demon. What were some of like what are some of the resources? Were you just using books before that? Kind of going and and searching out videos and and doing self-study before the demon, or what was your uh, approach to studying for the LSAT before the demon? Yeah. So I started in January using the Power Score um, trilogy of Bibles. And so I just was using those by myself. Um, I did use the study schedule that PowerScript provides on their website to kind of provide some structure to my studies. And also, uh, where applicable, I would look for videos on online, on YouTube, or whatever free resources there were to help with logic games or explanations and things like that. Also, I have, um, at the same time, I bought about 30 of the previous released LSATs that I used to practice with as well, doing time sections. Yeah, so you were basically just doing, you know, it was all self-study. You didn't necessarily do a course or... No, um, I never used a course. Okay, or or tutoring or anything like that. You're just doing doing self-study. And then how how long have you been listening to... I know you're a podcast listener. When did you first find the podcast? Did you just find it as sort of part of your searching for the... um, during your self-studies? Yeah, it's actually funny. I don't remember how I found the podcast, but um, I think I started listening around March or March or April. Actually, I think I found it by watching YouTube videos of other oh, really? people who had went to law school or preparing for the LSAT. That might be how I found it. Got it. And then you just maybe found it like mentioned as a related video and then you um, decided to give it a shot and started um, listening to the podcast yourself. And now I know you listen to all the new episodes, obviously, I'm assuming you heard about the LSAT demon through the podcast. Is that right? Yeah. So I have listened to quite a few episodes already. Um, and I actually started at episode one and then I realized it made more sense to kind of work backwards. And so I was <laughs> able to learn about the, the LSAT demon that way. So good thing I switched. Otherwise, I would still not know about it. <laughs> so, yeah, well, well, that's that's great. So why don't you talk a little bit, um, we'll shift gears into now that you've been using the demon, you started using the demon, I think maybe three weeks ago, a month ago. Is that something like that? Does that sound about right? Yeah, that sounds about right. About three or four weeks ago. And just tell us a little bit about your experience using the demon. I mean, when, when do you find, I know you're obviously, you know, working during the day. So what, when do you usually find yourself using the demon? I mean, when do you find you get, um, is it you're kind of have a second while you're waiting in line for something, you're pulling out the demon and using it there. What are the situations where you really find the demon to be the most, most helpful for you? So I think that the demon has been most helpful for me with logical reasoning for this reason is because I'm able to use it uh, when I'm on the train, going to work in the morning or when I'm having a break doing work or pretty much anywhere I am. I can always practice logical reasoning uh, questions because it takes just a few minutes um, and I have about two hours each way of commute every day. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you said each way? Each way, yeah. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So you're, you've got four hours of commuting time yeah. every day. So that's a lot of, I'm guessing that's a lot of podcast listening and a lot of, uh, of LSAT demon. Well, before um, it was more podcast listening, but I was more demon using. So yeah, well, Hey, you can, you can always do both, you know, at the same time. I think that's, <laughs> that's how you really make the most out of that four hour commute. Wow. So where, and where are you just out of curiosity, you're commuting to where in Spain and where are you coming from? So I live in the city of Madrid, and I work okay. um, in a suburb that's in the mountains of Madrid. So it oh. takes me uh, almost two hours, and almost every mode of public transport there is here. Bus, train, metro. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah, obviously the nice thing there is you, you've got it all on your phone. You don't have to lug. I mean, lugging books around uh, and moving between a train, a bus, and, all the, and a subway and everything. I mean, that would be a, a huge hassle. So I'm sure... Having it all on your phone, I imagine, has been a, a game changer since you've you've started using uh, the daemon instead. So, and then talk a little bit about. I know you're you're talking about logical reasoning. How do you think it's? How have your results looked? Like, so when you were coming in before using the daemon, I mean, do you find that you've uh, been getting higher accuracy on the questions you're attempting? Um, have you noticed uh, results already just in terms of, you know, your accuracy on LR, but also the other sections as well? Yeah, so definitely I've noticed improvement uh, most um, noticeably on LR because that's what I spend most time with. Um, and so right now I'm scoring pretty much consistently with LR about minus one or just missing one question, which is a big improvement from where I used to be. Um, as far as the logic games and, log- and the reading comprehension, I'm also noticing improvement there just because, I mean, I'm practicing more. And like you said, it's more convenient. So whereas before I was taking a full L- uh, ten book of 10 LSAT uh, test with me, and I can't just whip that out at the grocery store. But I can do that while I'm in line uh, with the LSAT demon on my mobile phone. So That's great. That's great. And then we've now met uh, twice for tutoring uh, demon equipped tutoring specifically where we actually you've given me access to your LSAT demon account and I'm actually able to basically track your progress and then also kind of go in so during our lessons I'm able to see exactly what you've been working on give you um, not only specific you know I come into the lesson prepared knowing what I want to talk about with you. So it's great for me because I'm able to, as the tutor, see um, what I want to focus on, what I think you need the most help with. But so I love it myself and I use it, you know, with all the students I work with. I um, get them on the demon because selfishly for my own reasons, right, it's great for me. But I want to get your I want to hear it from you. How have you felt like the tutoring has gone um, in terms of using the demon sort of as a tool to augment the, the tutoring session? I want to get your take on that. I mean, I think it's pretty convenient, um, especially, for example, like with the logical reasoning, because we're able to look at the same thing at the same time and kind of go over it piece by piece. Or even with the with the reading comprehension, it's the same kind of thing because we're both on the same page um, and since it's not face-to-face, it makes it a bit more connected, if that makes sense. But, I mean, I don't have that much experience with tutoring, traditional tutoring with LSAT, so I'm not sure how it differs, but I've, I've found <laughs> it to be pretty useful this way. 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you from from someone who obviously does have a lot of experience tutoring myself, if you're trying to, if you have a student who's trying to dig through their papers, dig through their books to find their, you know, answers to that one, or they're trying to send you, you know, screenshots, or they're trying to take pictures on their phone and send you results of what they've worked on, and you're trying to go off that, I can tell you firsthand, it's a lot a lot more unorganized and there's a lot of wasted time during the session. You know, a lot of times I know people are, they're kind of hesitant to go into tutoring because it's a more expensive way to prep for the tests. And they're wondering, am I going to be spending, am I going to make the most out of the time, right? There's only so much time you have during a session. So one thing that I think anyone that uses the demon during a tutoring session could agree on is there's really not that wasted time because you're on the same page because we can just pull open your daemon account, both be looking at the exact same thing at the same time. We can go through questions uh, quickly and easily and not have to dig through and find where that passage was, find where that logic game was, find where that logical reason question was. And in addition to that, I'm able to see, you know, obviously there's things that um, you can flag, you can flag questions yourself that you want to talk about, but I can also go in and flag things myself. So if I want to talk about a specific question that maybe you, you didn't flag it, but I saw that you missed it, and I know that it would be a good one for us to cover because maybe, you know, you're still struggling with, um, say, necessary assumption questions or a certain type of question. And I saw you missed one and I think it would be a good learning opportunity. I can go right in. I can flag it. And then we're, again, both on the same page when we get to the lesson. It's a huge time saver. And then it's not as much about what exactly do I need to be doing before our next lesson. It's more just, hey, go into the demon work in the demon, make progress in the demon. And then when we meet next, I'm just looking the night before getting an update and sort of a download on everything that you've been doing since our last lesson so that we're both prepared to make the absolute most out of um, you know that, that two hours together when we meet. So yeah, anything else that you've, you've uh, wanted to bring up from your experiences so far? Um, no, just the... I would add to the fact that I think the demon is a good resource if you can't afford tutoring because it is an extra expense because it does provide you with all of the explanations for what you're having problems with. And if it's not, if, it, if there is no explanation there, you can ask for one and usually it's there within a few days. So, Yeah, absolutely. And so for those that are considering using the demon, um, obviously LSATdemon.com if you haven't already signed up. Go to LSATdemon.com. You can sign up for a free week trial. And then after that, at $95 a month, you know, it's going to be cheaper for you than a course. I think it's kind of that nice middle ground between like a book and a true course. But then if you are considering tutoring, I think using the demon with tutoring is a no brainer. It's going to make sure you get the most out of your time. For that, you want to go to LSAT.com demon.com and then scroll down to the bottom of the homepage. There's a button there that says LSAT tutors. Go ahead and click that and you can sign up for a session with me, Ben or Nathan and reach out and learn more about that. Um, So thanks so much for for joining Isaac and I look forward to uh, hearing more about your progress and uh, keeping up with that. So thank you. No problem. Thanks, Max. All right. Sounds good. Great. Should we uh, jump into this game? Let's do it. So this is the June 2007 LSAT. You can Google that. It's available as a free PDF on LSAC.org. This is the third game in the first section. We talked about 
the rules last time, and we got to a point where we were about to create worlds on the basis of J. So I guess we should just jump into that, right? Maybe start creating them and talk about what we find. Yeah, and well, I mean, I can sort of skip ahead to the answer here, which was just that this is a game where I think I might have uh, started making worlds and then just sort of decided to let go of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Our suggestion was to try out worlds based on J and see what happens. And it does turn out that there's only four places that J can go, right? J can go second, third, fifth, or sixth. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you pencil out those four templates, you immediately get to know where one of the G's goes. Um, when J is second, G is first, when J is third, G is second and so forth. But it doesn't really trigger enough from that point for me to justify splitting and splitting and splitting. Like I'm seeing too Mm -hmm. much flexibility in these templates to justify really trying to, to go deeper into them. I agree. Yeah. That said, I don't think that that's a disaster at all because I have a feeling that the questions are going to kick me into at least at least once or twice, the questions are going to kick me into just one of these templates. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to mm-hmm. give me some condition condition that I'm going to obviously be able to to look at this and go, oh, well, that can only happen in this particular spot. Yeah, I agree. And uh, by doing the if questions first, you're going to create more complete individual worlds that you can use to answer the non if questions anyway. So, yeah, and I might do that via splitting these templates, right? I might, sure. I might, if I have enough room, if I let them breathe. That's, by the way, a nice tip for people when they make worlds is to like sort of space them out enough mm-hmm. that that you've got some extra room in between, so that you can split them if you want to split them. Yeah, but yeah, okay. So, should we just run through these questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, question eleven is our traditional first question. So, I would tackle this first and just grab one rule and use that rule to eliminate any answer choices that violate that rule. Since it's saying question 11, which one of the following is an acceptable schedule of destinations for freedom in order from week one through week seven. I'm just going to start with the first rule because it's an easy one. J will not be its destination in week four. And what I'm doing is I'm just scanning down the list, seeing slot four and seeing if I ever see Jamaica. And I do in answer choice D. So D is out in question 11 Then I'm just going to go to the next easiest rule that I can see. T has to be its destination in week seven. So now I'm just looking for any time in which T is not seventh. That's a problem in answer choice E. So E is now out. I'm left with A, B, and C. The next rule talks about, let's see, I'm going to actually skip ahead to the rule that says G has to be its destination in the week preceding any voyage it makes to Jamaica. In other words, if it goes to J, then G has to be immediately before it. So I'm just going to scan for J and make sure that G is before it. That is a problem with C. Uh, C has Jamaica first, which means G can't be before it. So we're down to A and B. And we have two more rules. I'm going to go with the more complicated one because I'm guessing they're probably going to test that. And it says M is going exactly twice with at least one G in between those two M's. And so I'm going to look at A and B and make sure that that rule has been followed. That has been followed in A. 
and that has not been followed in B. We have MTM. There needs to be a G in between those two M's. So B is out. The answer is almost certainly A. And the last rule is that we don't have any consecutive weeks, and I don't see any problems there because I don't see any two places together. So the answer is A for 11. Perfect. Yeah. So then where would you go from here, Nathan? Well, I would definitely skip ahead to the if questions. Um, I've heard some people complaining about that they don't want to do the if questions first on the digital format. We mm. talked about that on the show, but I think I'm convinced now that it's going to be pretty easy to just click forward. So I would click forward to the if question. Yeah. Okay. If cool. freedom makes a voyage to Trinidad in week five, which one of the following could be true? You know, that scanning my templates that only happens in two of them. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> one real easy thing to do would be to just put T in five in both of those templates. True. So, so that's what I would do. I mean, I wouldn't do it in the worlds. I would do it to the side or below or whatever, but it only works in the J two and J three worlds uh, because obviously J five is J five and J six means G five. Yeah. So I first I'm just like copying down those two templates really quick with the G's and J's. And then I'm going to throw in T into five. Uh huh. Okay. I believe that that's going to implicate MGM in the first world. I've got GJ blank, blank T blank T. Yep. So and that, that's those three spots have mm -hmm. to be MGM. Yeah. Okay. So there I've got GJMGTMT. Mm -hmm. The bottom of the two, eh, I think I've still got, well, actually M has to be first now. Yes, it cannot be the last two. That wouldn't fit. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, if it was just M4 and 6, then there's no MGM. So mm -hmm. M has to go first, and then the other M can go either fourth or sixth. So I put that with an arc. Yep, that that's what I did. Going? I put M mm -hmm. into one of the spots and then put an arc to the blank spot. Yep. And from there, it's like, well, that could be a G. Uh, it's probably the only thing it could be. Can't be a J, obviously. Can't be a T. Can't be a T. Yeah. So it's gonna. It's either gonna be a, a G or an. Uh, that, well, it, actually, it has to be a G. It has to be a G. Okay. Can't be a J. Can't be T. Can't be M. So cool. So that's M and G flip flopping in the fourth and sixth spots. Uh, it's a could be true. Could yep. we go to Trinidad in week one? No, it's G or M. B, could we go to Martinique in week two? No, it's G or J. C, could we go to G in week three? No, it's M or J. D, could we go to M in week four? Yeah, we could. That's the second template. Mm -hmm. E, could we go to J in week six? No, it's going to be either M or G. So number 13, D. And cool. I keep those mini diagrams because those were working scenarios. They were examples of my first two templates. Not, not the only examples of my first two templates, but they were examples of my first two templates, and so I would keep them mm -hmm. and then move on to another if question. Yeah. Nice. So the next one is uh, 14. Says if Freedom makes a voyage to Guadalupe in week one and a voyage to Jamaica in week five, which one probably must be true. All right, so I just have I'm gonna create a mini world here. And G in week one, that could be in theory in any of my worlds. J in week five, I already have that. So we have 
G, no, no, hold on. Yeah, G in four, J in five, and T in seven in one of our worlds. That doesn't have to be the world, though, because, oh, no, it does. So J, sorry, if J is in five, then G does have to be in four. So we'll go ahead and put J in five, G in four, and we know that G is in one. Um, the MGM rule is obviously going to come into play here. In my diagram, I have G in one, two and three are empty, G is in four, J is in five, six is empty, and T is in seven. To fit the MGM chain of three things, I, I have to put M in six, and then the other M is going to come in two or three. It doesn't seem to really matter which one it goes into. Um, so I'm going to have M going back and forth between two and three. Who's left at this point? Well, I can't put another M there because they'd be next to each other. I can't put a G there because they'd be next to each other. So my only options are J or T. And I actually could put a J in there if I put it second. So right. I'm just going to leave that for now. This is probably enough to answer. Which one of mine must be true? J in week two? No, it doesn't have to be true, although we just saw that it could be. Could be true, yeah. Yeah, T in week two. Again, same thing. Could be true. Uh, M in week three? No, we just saw that it could go back and forth between two and three. G in six? Uh, nope. I have M and six, and uh, M and six. Oh, yeah, that's what we already figured out. So the answer is E. Yeah, E says M six. Okay, number fifteen. Another F question. If we have G one and T two, looking at my templates, G one and T two, I think that that only works in the third template. Oh wait, no, that's not true. First template and the third template, huh? T2. Oh, wait, no. G1 and T2. Yeah, that only works in the third template. Okay. I got confused there for a sec. Yeah, I see. Mm -hmm. Because in the fourth template, you need MGM. You can't fit the MGM. First three spots. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in the third template, so I mean, in that, that right there, that, that could be the answer, right? Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. G1, T2, which one of the following must be true? Uh, G4 or J5? Yeah. Doesn't turn out to be the answer, but <laughs> okay, I'll keep going. Um, <laughs> Yep. Okay. Could you know? It's like sometimes you just give yourself a chance to get lucky. Although now that I see G G one T two requires G four and J five, where do the M's go? There's only two spots left, and they just have to go there. Yeah. So, so now, which one of the answer. following must be true? M three A is the answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Cool. And there, that's an example. I wouldn't. There's no way I'm going to look at B C D and E there. No. Because I have a is, perfectly finished diagram. I know for sure that M has to go third. That's the answer. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so for 16, it says, Freedom makes a voyage to M in week three, which one find could be an accurate list of the destinations in weeks four and five, respectively. So we're talking about four and five, the ones right next to M. Yep. M could go into three in our first template, um, in our third template. And in our fourth template. <laughs> so we have a lot of options there. How about a uh, shortcut? Yeah. Remember the diagrams we did for number 13? We did. We had M and 3. So we know that GT could be in 4-5, and they have that as answer choice A. <laughs> Do you think that they're intentionally trying to, to give us that opportunity for a shortcut? I, I think they are. 
I I think it does depend on the person who wrote this game, and I've definitely seen people who seem to leverage previous questions. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's you know that what I did was I just scanned my work to see. Mm-hmm. Actually, the scenario we we just did a second ago too, when G's first and T's second, mm-hmm. the diagram we did for fifteen, yeah, also that has also M3. has M three, yeah, and G T. So there, yeah. M three. Well, it's got G J. Oh, G J. <laughs> Sorry. So those are two answers though, and so if right. they didn't get if G T wasn't one of the options they gave you, you can look for G J and say, yeah. hey, is that an option? And that but, since this could be a true question, yeah, yeah. And of course, G J. It turns out isn't listed because G T is listed, and there's only going to be one right answer, but. GT, yeah. your work from number 13 just can answer number 16 for free. And that's awesome when that happens. Yeah. Okay. So then back to number 12. Yeah. 12, our first non-if question that we ended up skipping. Which one of the following cannot be true about Freedom's schedule of voyages? And here's one of the benefits of doing if questions first. Now we have our semi-filled out templates uh, from the worlds, and then we have two mini diagrams from 13, another one from 14, another one from 15. We didn't end up needing to create one for 16, but that's four possible scenarios, which means if any of these answer choices happened in any one of these valid diagrams, then we know that answer choice is wrong because this question is asking for which one of the following cannot be true, right? Yep. So A, freedom makes a voyage to T in week six. <laughs> well... Yeah, we're not going to see this in any of our diagrams because this just goes back to the original rule. T has to be in seven and things can't be consecutive. So you can't have T in six as well. So Um, that's the answer. That's the answer. I mean, but notice too that I think some people might look at this and say, hey, well, that's an easy question. Why not just do that before you do the other if questions? <laughs> you, you certainly could, but you get a, you get easy questions, you get hard questions. And I think this is actually easy in part because we're so familiar with the game. Yeah, we got, so it's easier exactly. to spot this kind of stuff. Yeah. And not only that, but um, it's, <laughs> it is still easy right now. Like it, it could have been easy earlier, but it's easy now. So, so why, yeah, do why I, does it matter? Who cares when I do it? I mean, this goes back to you. You're, you're the reason why we do the if questions first and or the way you finally sold it to me after a year or two of me arguing with you about it. You, <laughs> you finally said, well, it doesn't cost anything to do it. And when it helps, it can help a lot. Well, here's an example of it doesn't cost anything to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we went and did all those if questions and sure, some of them were harder, but still when we get back to number 12, it's just like, oh yeah, bang, t- for, it's A, next. Yeah. And so it didn't cost us anything. Like it still took us five seconds. We're going to do the whole game. Mm-hmm. And it took us five seconds to answer that question. Fine. And it could have been hard. <laughs> that question could have been hard, which in which case it would have been much better for us to do all the if questions first. Yeah. Number 17. Which one of the following must be true about Freedom's schedule of voyages? A says Freedom goes to G either in week one or else in week two. Hmm. I guess that has happened in all of our scenarios. Must be true. But hmm. but in, in templates three and four, I'm not thinking I have to go to G there. No, why not put... MT, let's just try to break it. MT and then, oh, it's a little tough actually. Anyways. Uh, in the fourth world, MT, GM, GJT. But then you, yeah, okay, there you go. MT and then G, 
GM, yeah, G. That works. Yeah, yeah. GT. Yeah, that works. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so there, the, the templates did help me a little bit because I mm-hmm. can sort of just picture it, right? Do it in your head as opposed um, but to I, I don't. Out. I don't know that I would actually have done that, though, because I think what I would do is scan looking for one that has to be true. Sure. So B, do I always have to go to M in week two or three? Uh, definitely not, because I can go to M1. In fact, we have a diagram where we have M1. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and M4 or 6. So yeah. <clears throat> that one is not the answer. Uh, C, do, do I have at most two Gs? Um, I don't think so. G's a necessary condition for J. So, we do, in all our diagrams, we have no more than two Gs. And we actually couldn't get more than two Gs. But I, I agree with what you're saying. It's like J is the one who's really constrained. So I'd probably just like... I'd probably cross out A and B and just keep moving. Okay. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our diagrams were doing like the, the diagrams for number 13, that was adding a T and T Mm -hmm. does nothing for us. Right. Yeah. G is at least a necessary condition for J. So having, Mm -hmm. having more, and G is a necessary condition for being between M's. So Mm -hmm. having more G's makes it easier for J to find a spot. It makes it easier for M's to find a spot. Like I just, it doesn't seem like a very likely answer. Yeah. D though, (laughs) Is an extremely likely answer. D says, well, here's another thing too. If you don't yes. cross out C, if C is correct, then D would have to be correct as well. So you now know that C is wrong. Yeah. So D says freedom makes at most two voyages to Jamaica, and that's just that would that's definitely has to be true. I mean, it's difficult to even have two vi- two voyages to Jamaica. <laughs> Having three voyages to Jamaica would require three G's. And we already have to have two M's and a T. So that puts us way over um, the number of destinations we have spots for. Excellent. So D must be true. And that's that game. That's that game. All righty. And we already talked about the last game. So we're done with the games from June 2007, which means we get to start talking about Test 71, which I think is the September 2014 LSAT maybe. Um. That's I'm excited for fun. that. I'm excited yeah. to do uh, logical reasoning and reading comprehension on the show. I think that that will be edifying. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, please do so. There's a lot of people there tossing around different ideas. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at Thinking LSAT. You can tweet us at Thinking LSAT on Twitter or follow Nathan at N Fox or me at Olson Benjamin. My website is strategyprep.com if you're interested in taking live classes in DC. Uh, if you want to take classes in LA or San Francisco, go to foxlsat.com to learn more about Nathan's classes there. Our joint project is lsatdemon.com, which continues to add new features and suffer from growing pains, but (laughs) we're thankful for everyone who participates and uh, gives us feedback. We are excited about everything that we're doing to push the ball forward there, including adding timed tests and proctored timed tests. Uh, And we'll tell you more about that uh, in the coming weeks. Can I, uh, how do people reach out to Max if they want to uh, do demon equipped tutoring with him it looks like we don't yet have the tutor tab on the lsat demon not inside uh the 
app. That is true. Um, I shouldn't say app either, too. It's a web-based program, but you can get, do all this work on your phone. Um, I think if you click on... If you go to LSATdemon.com and then scroll to the bottom, you'll see tutors. And then you can click on tutors and you'll find Max's information there. Oh, it is there. Oh, I sorry. I was missing it. Okay. Um, yeah. And you can work with me or Ben or Max uh, using the LSAT demon. Yeah. It's great. Cool. Uh, that was episode 195. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. <laughs>